is a bloom Shoots up through the stony ground Well, good evening. It's a Wednesday night, and that means it's podcast night. It's too rare in this town, you're out of luck And the reason that you had to care, the traffic is stuck you're not moving anywhere You thought you found a friend To take Yes, it's time for I can't believe it. Football, by the hell Well, you heard the man It's time for football Bloody hell The traffic is stuck And you're not moving anywhere You thought you found a friend Take you out of this place Someone you can lend The gang are all here Return for grace It's a beautiful day and We're here to discuss all the latest football topics Well good evening everybody and welcome to Football Bloody Hell and tonight's guests are uh, Steve Rutter. Thanks for joining us, Steve. Yeah, evening. Ricky Hyatt. Thanks for coming, Ricky. No problem. Good evening. I'm going to put you down to introduce the whole show next week or something. Uh, Simon, thanks for joining us. Good evening. And finally, our mystery guest, Mr. Scott Guyatt from Crystal Palace Football Club. Good evening, Scott. Evening, Eddie. How are you? Absolutely fine, mate. Good to have you on the show. So we've got a few different guests today. Hilda has had the audacity, just because the sun's shining, to go off with his mates drinking and having a barbecue. Oh, I forgot it was a bank holiday, was the excuse. I think it's pathetic. Absolutely <laughs> pathetic. He's going to get hammered when I see him. Um, but anyway, let's... He's probably getting hammered now, yeah. Anyway, gentlemen, thank you very much for joining us. Um, I hope you're all well. Scotty, first of all, let's, let's start with you. Um, just... Tell us, you know, where has your journey taken you since you left Yeovil? Uh, well, so, uh, well, I can't even remember what year it was I left Yeovil, Adia. Yeah, around about 2004, possibly. I, I, I can't remember. But um, Did you play I against was, Liverpool? Uh, well, no. that, that was 2004. So it no, it was 96. No, it wasn't. It was 2004. Anyway. Might have been 2000. Yeah. Anyway, after Yeovil, after four years at Yeovil, I, I went to, uh, to Bournemouth. Yeah. I had two seasons at Bournemouth. Uh, and then uh, after my two seasons at Bournemouth, I was fortunate enough to um, get a job at uh, Crystal Palace Football Club. I had about two months playing for Dorchester. I played about uh, five or six games for Dorchester just to tick over. Um, and then the opportunity came up to go to Crystal Palace in my current role. Um, and at that time, I think it was around about 34. Uh, I knew it was coming to an end, so I couldn't, uh, I couldn't turn it down. And, and what exactly, you know, is your, your role at Crystal Palace? So I am, uh, well, my job title is Head of Sports Science and Strength and Conditioning, which is um, basically the fitness coach. Right. You, all, you, you, have, you have these exciting titles now. So, uh, so that's what I like to call myself. That's what, that's what my official job title is. But, um, but it's basically the fitness coach. Yeah. Yeah. And um, you've been there now for what? A uh, few years now, must be. Yeah, yeah, I've been there for ten and a half years. It'll be eleven years in October. I really? Believe. And mm. during that time, you've you've had a few managers, but uh, more recently, Roy Hodgson. What was he like to work with? 
Yeah, yeah. Well, I think um, over the over the sort of ten and a half years, I think it's been about twelve or thirteen managers. Um, all, fun enough, all very experienced uh, British managers, apart from one, uh, Frank the Boer. But the rest were were all very experienced, um, you know, tra traditional sort of British managers. Um, and uh, the last one, Roy, was was the longest serving. I think I was there. He was there for four years. Um, and it was a really, really, um, you know, eventful sort of four years with Roy. It was a wonderful person to work for, a great man, um, full of experience and, and, and knowledge, um, and just an all-round lovely fella. And, and of the other managers, who, who else stood out for you during that period of time? Well, they, they, all, they all stand out in, in different ways. Eh? They've all got their, their different strengths and weaknesses, and, um, you know, there's certain things that... that you know that they do that you really like there are certain things that they that they do that you probably don't like as much but i have to i have to say that you know every manager i work for um you know i took something from um some more than others but um you know you can't help but you know learn from some of these guys that have been at the top of the game i think i worked it out not so long ago i think it was I think it was between the 12 managers idea i think it was about seven thousand games you know you've got like you know, Alan Pardew, Tony Pulis, and uh, Neil Warnock, you know, even Holloway. You know, these, these guys have, you know, been around for years and years and years. And, um, you know, they're, they're unbelievably good at their job. Yeah, yeah. So an enjoyable time for you. And, uh, of course, now you're sort of slightly in the dark and you don't know who's coming in to do the job now. Yeah, big, big, uh, big summer for the football club, I think. Um, we've had relative stability with Roy for the last four years. Um, and, and at the end of this season, obviously Roy has chosen to step down. Um, and obviously now that the club are looking to go in a different direction, a new manager, um, which will be a big change because, um, you know, four years at a Premier League football club now is, is quite a long time, particularly for a club like Crystal Palace. Um, so it'll be interesting to see what, which direction they go into. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Any any clues as to who no, it might no be? No, no clues at all, mate. I, I, you know, it's the, um, you know, the same the same sort of five or six names are being banded about and have been sort of banded about for like the last probably two months now. Um, you know, Sean Dyche has been mentioned. Uh, Steve Cooper at, at Swansea. Uh, the, the guy at, uh, at Barnsley who did an outstanding job this season getting Barnsley to the playoffs uh, Frank Lampard's been named I think there's a few uh, few sort of curveballs in there as well uh, Patrick Vieira um, I heard uh, Nuno the, the ex-Wolves boss have been, um, have been mentioned as well so um, yeah quite a few names um, it'll be quite an interesting time I think yeah absolutely absolutely but, uh, but we're not going to talk about... Would you not about... be tempted to go for it yourself? Sorry, Aileen. Sorry, what was that? Would, would you not be tempted to go into managerial roles yourself in the future? Yeah, possibly. I mean, um, you know, working under all those guys previously, you know, it's given me a little bit of a taste of it. It's certainly given me the experience of what's required um, uh, at sort of elite level management. So it is something that I would like to do, but... but Look, I'm, I'm a long way from that at this moment in time, you know. Um, I, for me, if I went into coaching or managing, I think I'd have to go into academy football first or, or, or sort of lower league football. 
um, before that. Um, I think that's, you know, uh, you've still got a lot to learn. Um, the day-to-day pressures of, of sort of managing at a top level. Uh, I've got a few mates that, that manage in League One, League Two clubs. One's just actually, funny enough, um, just been knocked, uh, knocked out of the playoffs or just lost the playoff final at Newport. Good mate of mine. Um, and I speak to them regularly, and um, it's a lot harder than what, what you actually think, I, I think. Hmm. Yeah, I'm sure there's a few people around who agree with that particular uh, statement, that's for sure. But um, Yeah, tough job, tough job, particularly down there, Rady. I think the lower down you go, I think the tougher it is. Yeah, yeah. Which I suppose, in a way, makes it sort of... You look at people like Gary Johnson, who you and I both know, obviously... Um, it, you know, his record's pretty good in the old lower levels, really, when you look at it, isn't it? Outstanding, yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. I mean, you know, Gary's been doing it for a long, long time now, you know. Um, you know, I was, I was fortunate enough to plan him for, for a short period and, um, you know, I could, I could sort of put him up against, you know, many of the other managers I've worked for as well. You know, the only difference was that I was, I was a player rather than, rather than a member of staff. But, um, you know, Gary's had, you know, Incredible longevity yeah. in football money. Well, look, boys, we're going to talk about a bit more than just Scott Guy tonight. And, uh, of course, top of the list has got to be the Champions League. Um, what was the general consensus on the Champions League then? Rick, come on. I didn't... I saw the last half hours travelling back from cricket, so I missed, I missed it. But uh, Tommy Tickle has saved football once again. I told yeah. you, would. Yeah, Absolutely. Absolutely. Did it in the FA Cup. He's now done it again. Yeah. No, he's, he's a gentleman, isn't he? Absolute gentleman. Go back to Germany now. His job's finished. Yeah. But it's interesting. I was talking to uh, a teammate of, of Scott's, at least I think he was, Carl, Carl Alford. He was your, one of your teammates, wasn't he? Uh, Carl left just before I came in, I think. Uh, oh, I, did I, he? I played right. against him. Yeah, played against him, but but not with him. Well, he's a proper blue nose. And when a blue nose says to you, oh, he's not as good as he's cracked up to be, talking about Pep Guardiola, I thought that was quite a telling statement, really, because he's been totally blue nosed ever since I've known him. So, uh, I mean, Steve, what did you think of the, you know, the, the drastic changes he made? Yeah, I suppose it's part of a pattern, isn't it? He did, he did very similar last year against Lyon and they got beat in the quarterfinals. Um, and I don't, I don't know. It's just, it seems to be just one experiment too far, really. You know, I think he said that only ever played one game without at least Rodri or Fernandinho playing as a defensive midfield player all season. And so to go into a Champions League final like that seems a very, very strange thing. Whereas Tuchel just got what he knows is his best organised side, put the best shape on the field that he could, and got them to play to a pattern they were familiar with. So I think they just went into the final with a lot more certainty, maybe, than Man City. And then you add to that, though, I thought people like Sterling and Mahrez were very disappointing. I thought uh, Rhys James and Ben Chilwell dominated them. Um, and Man City just never really got a foothold in the game, did they? And I, and I think it was just one tinker too much. Mm-hmm. Simon? Yeah, I thought, actually, oddly, all along, that Chelsea would do them. I said this to you the other day in a conversation, I think. I, mm-hmm. I don't know why. There's just something about Tuchel just seems to know what to do on the on the day, and he's, he's just picked Pep. It's not easy to say. Um, but they, it was strange not having either of those two in the sort of central defensive midfielder role was very odd. If, if that's the way... You, 
like you said about um, Man City playing in a shape they're comfortable with, and it, it made them play more more confidently when Man, Man City tried to play like that, and it didn't work at all. Hmm. Mm. What did you think, Scotty? I take it you saw the game, did you? Yeah, I watched the game. Um, I was really looking forward to it, actually. Two really, really good teams for me, AD. We played uh, we played Chelsea not so long ago, actually, at home. They beat us convincingly. They, they um, played really, really well, I thought, against us. Uh, they played that sort of 3-4-3 really, really well. The two central midfielders, the two midfielders, were outstanding against us. Um, so... Uh, yeah, I thought it was a really good game. Uh, I thought there were some really outstanding performances from Chelsea as well. Like, like, like Steve said, I think the two wing-backs kept uh, start Sterling and, and, and Mares quiet. I thought Rudiger played really, really well. And, uh, and, and Kante, obviously, was, was, was outstanding. I was a little bit surprised with uh, Fernandinho not starting the game. I must say, I think Fernandinho has probably one of, been one of the most outstanding players in the Premier League for probably the last five or six years now for me. Mm. Um, but you know, I think everyone everyone will criticise Pep now. You know, but um, you know, you can't take anything away from, from what he's done, not just at Man City, but but in terms of the whole Premier League. You know, the the, the, the sort of you know the tactics now in the Premier League is, is completely changed. It's a real sort of tactical game now, and I think that's been brought about since he's come to the football since he's come into the Premier League. But as a true red that I know you are. You must have been pleased that they didn't win the European Cup and you must have been pleased that they didn't win a treble. Yeah, obviously, uh, you know, being a, being a Man United fan like yourself, Aidy, quite happy that, uh, that Man City didn't win the, win the Champions League. But, um, you know, I, uh, you know putting, putting my allegiance to Manchester United aside, you know, I have to say, you know, Man, Man City have been an absolute joy to watch for the last, you know, well, three or four seasons, really. Um, such a good team. You know, I mean, you know, a different level to, to to any other team in the Premier League for me. You know, I'm fortunate enough to get to see it firsthand and, and get front row seat. Um, and have to say that, 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 you know, they've been outstanding in the last four years. Do you not think, though, that uh, in a lot of cases, Man City turn up and the opposition are, are beaten before they've kicked the ball? Well, yeah, I mean, look, whenever you go there, whenever they come to your place, um, you know you know you're going to spend a lot of the time without the ball. You've got to be very disciplined. Um, you've got to concentrate for long periods of the game. They tend to just pass and probe. That's, that's a great thing I love about them. They don't come away from what they do. They just they keep parking, they keep probing, and it takes one sort of lapse in concentration from a, a centre-half or a full-back or you know, a nicely weighted pass that gets around the back of the back four and they're in. Um, but but I just love the way they sort of, that they never come away from what they do. Um, mm. Mm. So, yeah, I mean, absolutely. You, you always know when you go there, it's going to be, it's going to be difficult. But I, I must say, we, we've had a couple of decent results up there, Eddie. We've we beaten them 3-2 yeah. a couple of seasons ago. We've got a draw, a last minute draw, 2-2, two, two, I think, last season. Mm. Mm. Which is good, which is good. We we love it us us Reds so you know we can't knock that at all, but um sure. moving to the red side of the village um you know I can't believe that a goalkeeper of David de Gea's experience and to be fair 
he's been a good goalkeeper for United over the years. I mean, I can remember one game in particular against Arsenal. It was absolutely unbelievable, his display. But how he could put on a display like that for the penalties, just the penalties, I'm not on the rest of the game, he wasn't too bad. But for the penalties, I just could not believe his body language. Steve, I mean, what did you reckon? Well, well I thought his track record going into it wasn't very good, was it, with penalties? And and you, you often see now people with a strategy that, if you look at his record, I've, I've made a note of it, the last time he saved a penalty was the 23rd of April 2016 in the FA Cup semi-final against Everton, Romelu Lukaku. Since then, he's now been beaten on 40 consecutive penalties, 32 for Man United and eight for Spain. So, you know, you put people on to take penalties as you get to those last dying embers of a game, you know, it's going to penalties or you think it's going to penalties. You put somebody on to take penalties if they're a particularly good penalty taker. And as a coach, I'm, I'm just surprised that maybe he looked at his record and didn't think, look, if it goes to penalties, we'll get him off a minute before the end of extra time and get Henderson on. Mm. Um, didn't, got... didn't the Netherlands do that, Steve? I, I think several people, several people have done it down the years, and, it, and it's just logical, you know. His, his strength is clearly not saving penalties, um, whatever else he's good at. Yeah. And his track record would, would, would stand up to that, not just in you know, not just in this one game, but over the last, you know, he hasn't saved one since 2016. Um, mm. So you'd be thinking as a coach, you'd be looking at it, and, and I'm pretty sure I don't, I haven't checked, but I'm pretty sure he still had substitutes available to use, didn't he? So it's not like he didn't have the capacity to do that, and it was almost like. You know, the absolute necessity to win the game. Tuchel did everything he could with Chelsea to make sure Chelsea won that game. And I think maybe Oli was just a little bit um, too too emotional with him. And rather than making a hard-nosed decision, like get him off and get Henderson on, because he, he's got a better chance of saving penalties, I think he just said, look, I'll give him a chance to, to do it. And, and, it's, and it's fallen flat on its face, unfortunately, for them. And then, of course, the final irony is that he then misses the penalty that, um, that ends the, the penalty shootout. Yeah, but what about this this bit of paper he had where they told him all 11 penalty takers which side they were going to put it, seven of which were correct? I mean, I just can't forgive him for that. I mean, you know, that, that was a trophy waiting for us to win. And he just totally and utterly mucked it up. Which shouldn't have got to that, though, Adrian. No, it shouldn't. shouldn't, have got to shouldn't that. No. We were, we were poor. Not got anywhere near it. No, we were, we were poor. But nevertheless... And talk about... Talk about um, City continually playing the same same system. I think every United fan would have gone with that side. The fact that Fred finally got taken out of the pivot and Pogba was back there and he had all your attacking options on at the same time. But the trouble is, that left Ollie with no one on the bench that he had faith in above what he already had mm. to, uh, to change the game. So once that wasn't working, there wasn't really a, an alternative. There wasn't a Martial or someone like that on the, on the bench that might make a difference. He clearly doesn't have faith in the in the rest of the squad. Well, no, quite. But nonetheless, you know, it, we still had the chance in penalties, but uh, we failed to take it, didn't we, at the end of the day? So The other the other thing about that, that is, uh, took an awful lot of stick from people uh, after immediately after that, surprisingly, but United had, what, two shots on target? Yeah, yeah. During the entire match. How many did City match manage on Saturday? I think it was one. Mm. Not that it makes that much difference, but one manager will get absolutely crucified, and the other one, well, it's Pep, so we'll leave him alone. And that's that's ridiculous. What do you think, Simon? You've always got a lot to say about Man United. Um, 
I did have a little wry smile when Villarreal scored uh, when he scored that last penalty. Uh, I was listening to it on the radio in the garden, and I thought, I'm not going to put anything on Facebook. Eddie Hopper will murder me, and and I left it at that. Yeah. Um, but that you'd have thought like they did with Tim Krul. I'm sure it's Tim Krul for the Netherlands came on and saved a penalty in a penalty shootout, and they won mm. a particularly important game. I can't remember what it was. Uh, the more aficionados amongst you might know the game in question, but. I know that Tim Krul had come on, but I, I think somebody touched on the, the um, sort of the emotional side of it, and uh, Oli Gunnar Solskjaer was sort of kept re- repeating about the fact that it was Matt Busby's birthday, wasn't it? Yeah. And yeah. he was all he was doing is piling more pressure on his team. I I don't think they should have gone down that sort of route of keep reiterating that. Just get out and play it like it was a normal Premier League game, and you'd have probably won two 0 No, it's a good point. I agree with you there. You shouldn't have, shouldn't have kept going on about it. But, but going back to the, the Champions League, um, you know, we, we're talking about Pep. Uh, one of the uh, interviews I saw him do, he kind of intimated that he may may be considering his future. I don't know if any of you saw it, but he, he, it was it was quite low-key. And he, he just said, oh, we'd have to sit down with the club and talk about the future, which I thought was uh, kind of telling. I don't know what you boys thought about that. He's still got a contract, doesn't he? Oh, sure he has, yeah. But that doesn't necessarily mean he's going to stay. Zidane's got a two-year contract and he's walked away. So, I don't know. I just wondered if anybody picked up on it. That was all, so... I might have just been, uh, you know, away in La La Land hoping he was going to go. I don't know. Uh, Big Sam's available, so it wouldn't be too bad if he did go. No. I think it'd be interesting to see what they do in the summer, Eddie, with, with, in terms of that centre-forward now and where they go. Because they they desperately need that centre-forward now and, and whether they uh, they break the bank for, for Kane or not or whether they look elsewhere. But, um, you know, with Aguero uh, moving to Barcelona today, um, and it only leaves him with what one centre-forward in Jesus, you'd probably argue that he's, he's not going to be a first-choice centre-forward for, for, for a club the size of Man City. So, um, it be interesting to see where they go. But do you, do you not think, though, that City generally don't like spending... I mean, they spend the money, yeah, and let's be fair, they've got it, but uh, they don't generally seem to go much above sixty or 70000 for a player, whereas they're going to have to almost double that, Brilliant. presumably, to get uh, Harry Kane. Depends who they offload as part of the deal. Well, true, but, you know, I don't know. The event's trying to get rid of players. Say that again. Juventus are trying to get rid of some players. They've got major financial issues. So yeah. Romelu Lukaku will be available. You don't know if Dybala's going to stay there or not over the summer. Um, I mean, I'd love to see Dybala in the Premier League. Personally, um, and even though he scored against Yeovil, Romelu Lukaku would be pretty damn good. Well, I think I, Chelsea's, I thought, Chelsea's going. Thing, yeah, Chelsea is supposed to be after Kane and Lukaku. Mm. In one report, I mean that's so some that strike for. That would be interesting. Well, it would, wouldn't it? What do you think, Steve? You're keeping quiet there in the corner. No, I'm, I'm just looking at me. I think the one thing for Manchester City that Chelsea showed, and I've, I've been interested in what's how Scott at, at Palace, how they approach the City game. But I mean, what Chelsea showed is that, that 
Man City can't throw a ball into the penalty box and fashion an ugly goal. They've got to score beautiful goals by cutting you open. And if you defend diligently and you stay concentrated like Chelsea did, Chelsea have got good quality players, then Man City find it very difficult to pose another risk to you. So I think they do need a big target player to, or somebody to give them a focal point to their attacks. I just wondered when, when Palace play them, Scott, do you target them physically on defending set plays and stuff like that? Is that something you've, you've thought is a way of beating them? Just defend solidly and you know get your three or four chances off set plays? Or how, how do you approach playing against somebody like that? Uh, well, when we when we played them up there uh, a couple of seasons ago and, and won 3-2, uh, and, and funny enough, this year as well, it didn't obviously work this year, but we, we tend to sit up in a in a 4-3-3 and a 4 well, it's a 4-5-1 out of possession. Um, and, and we try and set up basically to counter-attack because we know that they're going to have a lot of possession. They're going to get players in forward positions. Um, we try and hit them on the counter-attack with some of our pace, particularly Zaha uh, and Townsend. Um, but the, the problem with City is that you, you have to defend. And I thought Chelsea were outstanding. Defensively, I thought Chelsea were outstanding. I thought, um, like I said before, that you know your two wing backs were were you know they're, they're sort of match winning performances really because you know if you have an off day against Mares or, or, or Sterling, you know you can be out of the game within five or six minutes. Um, so the big thing for us when we go there is to try and try and be solid, try and be compact, force them into wide areas, try and get them to cross cross the ball, try and get them to or, or, or try and get them to cross the ball. Um, because you know that you know that they're not they're not a you probably wouldn't say it's one of their strengths anyway getting balls into the box um, and then and then obviously counter attack but you know if if you go a goal down after you know ten or fifteen minutes you know you, it's it's a really up long day yeah. absolutely and then and then it becomes damage limitation then because you know those top teams they can take the game away from you in 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 five minutes as Liverpool did to us at home this season. Hmm. We, didn't, we didn't play particularly badly against Liverpool this season at home. Um, but, you know, within, you know, the blink of an eye, we sort of 4-0, 5-0, and, and you're thinking, wow, this could be anything, you know? But I thought I thought Chelsea defensively were, were just outstanding. They were compact. Um, you know, at times you looked at their front three, they were quite deep as well. Um, and they and, and they almost did play that sort of like mid to low block and, and, and counter-attack on, the, on, on Man City's back line. Okay, well, the next topic I wanted to discuss was kind of sad one, really. Um, roughly eight years ago, roughly to the weekend anyway, uh, Yeovil played Brentford at Wembley. We beat them 2-1, and we went into the championship. And then, all of a sudden, we're now in the National League, in the bottom half of the National League, and... Brentford have just gone into the Premier League. Um, it's kind of sad, isn't it? What might have been? And, you know, what's gone wrong? How have we ended up where we are? Anybody got any theories on that? I think we've got to be realistic. There was never really any possibility of Yeovil playing in the Premier League. I, there's, it just wouldn't happen. I think what's happened is there's been a, a lack of sort of chairmanship managerial conversations enough there's not been enough connection between the two and we've ended up just spiraling out of control down to the national league and and down so seems to have steadied the ship although some may argue 
otherwise. And Brentford, you've got to say they're um, they've spent wisely. That Ivan Tony is absolutely fantastic. I was surprised he's not sneaked in the England squad actually. Well, he certainly knows how to score goals, doesn't he? But, uh, but I mean, the thing is that you know, during the the earlier years, John Fry and Norman Hayward were in charge, and everybody used to give them stick, um, you know. But it's the old question, you know, you've got to be careful what you wish for. And uh, I, I'll always remember Gary Johnson and I were walking around. We'd played Watford in the Championship, and uh, we'd beaten them three one, I think it was. If memory serves me, it might be three nil. Three nil. Three nil. And uh, Gary said to me, he said, we need to spend another half a million on players. And he said, if we do, he said, we'll stay up and we'll get another five million at the end of that, that particular season. Well, of course, we all know now they didn't spend the five 500,000, didn't get enough decent players in and we went down. But uh, it just, you know, I mean, somebody said to me that Brentford must have spent 150, 160 million to get to the point where they are now, I suppose, when you think they've got a new stadium as well they moved into. I think that's a community stuff. Yeah, but so so what? You mean the money's come from the community? It's I don't, I don't think it's all come out of Brentford's pets. Pets. I that that's what I think. Because didn't isn't the bloke that owns Brentford some sort of football gambling expert? No idea. Do you know Scott? Uh, I think he's he's into statistics, isn't he? I think he's got a. I, I'm not sure, but there's the. I know they. They have a, a very interesting model at Brentford uh, where they rely heavily on statistics when it comes to recruitment. Very sort of moneyballish, I believe. Um, and it's, a, it's, it's an incredible model if it, if, if it works, which it obviously has done for them. I know they got rid of their, their reserve team, haven't they? They, they actually play, just have a B team now. So they don't, have a, they don't have an academy at Brentford anymore. I think they, they, they push that to one side, similar to Huddersfield a couple of seasons ago. And they have a, they have a B team that sort of just plays sort of like friendlies throughout the season. Now, we've played them a number of times ourselves in that sort of international break. If someone's looking for a game with, um, you know, if you've got maybe, you know, five or six players that need some minutes, um, you know, Brentford's usually the first point of call because they're always up for a game. But um, I think it's an interesting model. I think it's uh, it's incredible to think that they are now a Premier League football club um, and, uh, and all credit to them. Yeah, I mean, Brentford was the very first professional game I ever went to see because um, I used to live up around there and I remember going there. I remember it well. Uh, so it's kind of ironic, really, that they've gone up. But uh, what do you think, Steve? I mean, you know, you've you've seen a lot of Yeovil lately, especially with us and that. I mean, you know, can you see yeah. us? Is there a way back for us? Well, there's, there's two things. I mean, first of all, Brentford, you're right when you say about the Moneyball thing. They, they started out with a club called Mitterland in Denmark, who they still own and transformed Midtjylland to like the dominant force in Danish club football, well ahead of um, FC Copenhagen. Um, we actually played in the Europa League when I was at Panathinaikos. Um, and they, that was the formative years when they when they bought into the club and they've, they've transferred that to Brentford. And they have just gradually progressed with a clear business plan and a business model. And I suppose, ultimately, if you say about teams like Yeovil, you know, I don't think there has been a clear business plan. There's been some very well-intentioned people. Um, I think getting to the championship was probably a millstone around the club's neck because it's like Norwich now. They're saying they're not going to overspend to try and stay in the champ in the Premier League. 
Um, if you do, and there's there's no recovery, you know, there's no way of getting back. If you have a bad season and get relegated, you just tend to tumble down the leagues. And obviously, unfortunately, that's what happened to Yeovil. Um, this season, what I've seen, I mean, it's been a pe- peculiar season, hasn't it? Competitive, you know, they've played Stockport three times and lost each time by the odd goal. They haven't really been battered. You know, they've lost the game at Solihull and then a few days later have beaten them 3-0. Um, so I think Darren is, as we say, just, he's just trying to steady his ship at the moment. And it will be a very, with the Oval, as with every other club, it will be a really interesting summer to see exactly what impact the pandemic's had, the loss of revenues, and how they then approach building the squad for next year. Because, as we know, sadly, a lot of the more experienced players are either out of contract or have chosen to move on. Mm. Yeah, that's right. That's right. I mean, you know, how did the pandemic affect you at Crystal Palace, um, Scott, in, in, from a financial point of view? I mean, have you noticed many, many, you know, money-saving moves put into place to try and save money because of it? Uh, not really. I mean, that you know, that's not really my area, AD, to be honest with you. But, uh, you know, what I can say is that we were very well protected during the pandemic with all the testing. The Premier League were outstanding in... in you know, introducing the processes and protocols that we needed to abide by. Um, yes, I mean, we all know what it was like, you know, playing in front of empty stadiums. It was very strange. You know, I dread to think the income that the club have lost, well, most clubs have lost, you know, from that sort of match day revenue. Um, but in, in terms of actual figures or anything like that, I don't know. And, and the club, to be honest with you, AD, have been, have been great. There's been no sort of fellow, fellowing the staff, they've kept everyone on. Um, you know, if they have cut back in certain areas, I certainly haven't noticed it myself. Um, so I think we've done we've done okay considering. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah. Going, well, on to the, going to the Oval thing, Adia, two, two of the things that stand out for me with, with, with the Oval. Uh, the first thing, and this is why I think it's difficult for clubs, you know, like Oval, is that they have... They, I don't think it's a big attraction for players. That's the first thing. I mm. don't think. I think it's it's a very good development club for players being loaned out, perhaps from 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 bigger clubs. I think, um, you know, it's not. You know, when, when people sort of say you're oh, Yeovil Town without being disrespectful, a lot of people don't know where it is, and it is in the middle of nowhere. There's no doubt. <laughs> I mean, we we were very fortunate when when I was there. That group of players that we had. Um, we had a, a really good group. It was a great mix of players. We all moved into that area. We all lived in Yeovil. We, we sort of uh, brought our families there. Um, and we all made really, really good friends with each other. I, I, I don't know what it's like now, but, uh, you know, towards the back end of my time at Yeovil, sort of, it was a little bit transient where players would sort of come, stay in a hotel, head back to London, that type of thing. So that, that for me, is a, is a big problem, attracting players. And, and the second thing is that, you know, I think I think you have a cap on on how many fans will attend games there. I, I don't think, you know, that you know because of you know where it is and it's so isolated, it's very difficult to to attract, you know, big numbers of fans. And even if you're playing in the championship, I don't know what your what your average attendance was in in in, in the championship, but I would imagine. Um, you know that that whether you're playing Premier League or, or or Championship, then you know there's a ceiling. There's there's sort of like a, a level that that you, know, you can't do more in the stadium, and and you know no no more people will come. I think a lot of it relates to the number of chimney pots around the place. And you're right, there there there's has to be, um, you know, a limit on on 
the crowd that we're going to get because of the fact there's you know it's not a big town at all. Hmm. But but hmm. having having said that, um, you know, Yeovil had I think the average crowd when we were in the championship was around the six to six and a half thousand mark, which yeah. was which was obviously not enough. And I know they were obviously hoping to get a lot more which would have provided more funds and who knows then maybe they would have spent that extra half a million that Gary Johnson was on about. But um, it never happened, did it? Basically, it never happened. And, you know, this is this is what we find we are now. What do you mm. think, Rick? Mm. You, you don't go very often, but, I mean, uh, what's your thoughts on it? Uh, I, I think, Yeovil, if they're going to get anywhere, they do need to find somebody who's going to do that money or approach with the club, it's the only way they're going to do it. You look at Barnsley, Barnsley have another one that have got the same sort of theory and they've gone to a playoff final or semi-final this year. It seems to be the way because you're not going to, you're not going to attract, obviously because of the location, unless you've got, you appoint a manager and a coaching staff with extremely good contacts who do them a favour and lend them the better players. What is the attraction? Mm. You know, you look at, who's the Ariola plays in goal for Fulham? Um, playing golf for Fulham for any other reason than the fact it's a London club, you know that that's a massive, massive pull on people. Exactly the location, so and you're able to fighting against it with that, or either that or get Deadpool to buy it. Get who to buy it? Fantastic time to be. A, it's got to be such a good time to be a Wrexham fan at the moment. That's that'd be amazing. Someone like that, but it doesn't happen very often, does it? No, no, definitely not. But the question is, you know, how is Yeovil going to get over it? Are we going to ever find somebody, a sugar daddy, with that sort of money? That's the question, isn't it? And, and, I mean, would, yeah. it, would if you had the money, would you invest it in a football club like Yeovil? Well, Yeovil are a traditional club in the sense that they always used to say, how do you make a small fortune out of a football club? And that's to start with a big fortune. Yeovil yeah. are still in that bracket. They're not one of the... It's, it's amazing to think, you're saying about 500,000. Gary thought that's what was needed to stay in the championship. You look at that, that's peanuts, really, in footballing terms, to have kept them in the championship for another season just to invest that much. Yeah, but that's, the point was, the point was, that. Rick, well, you, you, if you stayed in the league, you got half a million. Sorry, five, five million at the end of it. Exactly. So speculate to accumulate. And the frustrating thing about that season was Yeovil never actually got stuck in any games. They no. were in every match, losing them by the odd goal, get relegated. But, I mean, that's, that's gone, obviously. Mm. But how they get out of the situation that, at the moment? I don't know. Yeah, that is the problem, though, isn't it? Like, and, and Scott alluded to the fact, <coughs> and we had the conversation on Saturday, we didn't we at the game? Yeah, the overlower traditional conference side or uh, Alliance Premier League or GM Vauxhall Conference, whatever you want to call it, whatever its guise is, the overlower small farm club that they will either develop other people's players or they'll get a couple of local players to do okay that they might move on every now and again. But yeah. the Oval is not a big football club in the terms of English football. And if they speculate half a million pounds they don't have, and it doesn't come off because the money they spend the player to... I mean, I think Gary's mm. big signing, wasn't it? In Argentina, lad, it was about £100,000. Yeah, Pablo Bastianini. Yeah. Absolutely. Had an absolute nightmare. It was a complete waste of money. And you can't afford to do that. If you're going to gamble, it's like the gamble has to pay off. It has so to be right, doesn't it? If they spend that half a million to stay in the championship and get relegated, there's no way back. It's then free fall until you hit a level that you actually should return to. It's called regression to the mean. You end up roughly where you should be. And mm. Yeovil are where they should be. So what's the academy set up like down there, lads? Is it a, is it a good setup? Is it is it worth Yeovil sort of like, I don't know, 
having a strategy where they go down that route of, de- you know, focusing more on development of players, young players, well, players Ter- that have been released from clubs. Terry Skiverton's in charge of it, uh, but he's also, um, well, he's also more or less uh, assistant manager as well. He helps Darren, you know, a big time. Um, but uh, and, and they've had a few, you know, half sensible players that have come out, youngsters that have come out, and, but they've never really been given the chance. That's the problem. Mm. Um, mm. And Gabby Rogers. Yeah, that's one. One, but I mean, it's more than that. There's a few floating about. I mean, we've just sold one to QPR. I forgot the bloke's name now. Can you remember, Cy? Alfie Lloyd. Yeah. Alfie Lloyd. Yeah, yeah that's right. Um, but you know, there's several little instances like that where we've we've had what could be deemed as potential little nuggets that might have been developed. But they've, but, but they've never had to. And, and the whole... I mean, there was a point where Southampton got, had a very close relationship with Yeovil on the academy. A bloke from Southampton came up to help run it. Um, this is going back about what well, was probably my last year there when I was in the job, 2015, somewhere around there. And, you know, but it... it, it they've never... They, they're always stop-start. One minute they go, oh, yeah, we're going to have an academy. We'll get on with it. We're going to do it. And they might have a year where they go in full pelt. And then the next thing, oh, can't afford it, got to chop it. And bang, it goes back to almost zero again. And I think that's the biggest how, how problem. How much did they get for Alfie Lloyd? How much did they get for Alfie Lloyd? Undisclosed, so we don't know. But uh, by all accounts, it you know, I mean... Uh, he, there's been a few... Uh, there'll be, be sell-ons for that, wouldn't it? That'll be the main benefit from it. Yeah. yeah. But there's been a... I mean, Callum Morton went to West Brom, didn't he, for about 50 grand. Um, then Kingsley, the goalkeeper, went to Southampton for about 50 grand. But th- like you say, the Yeovil should recognise that if they're going to do anything, like being involved in the community, developing local players is a good thing because now they've got little Toby Stevens in the first-team squad. But in between that, there's been six or seven lads who have come, have done well, but disappeared and never actually got the exposure that then builds up their value. You know, mm. being a Yeovil champion player is not going to make you particularly marketable. Being a 17 yeah. year old playing in Yeovil's first team every week, Put you in the shop window, and clubs will in. Well, then that's when clubs will speculate and gamble a little bit. Yeah. You know, so as I said to you the other day, you've now got um, Paulos Golovikas, who was here for two years. He's a Lithuanian international um, playing international football, Champions League football, and, and yeah, well, unfortunately, he didn't get a penny for him. Yeah, yeah, but it's a prime example, though, isn't it? That one in particular. But it's um, but going back to the Premier League a little bit, um, obviously we're going to go moving into uh, the transfer window. I don't know why when it starts. Is it started now or not? Anybody know? Tomorrow. Tomorrow, is it? Tomorrow. Yeah. I think so, um, yeah. First of June. I mean, United in particular are being connected to God knows who. Um, what do you think about Ronaldo coming back? Scott. <laughs> so um, uh, it's for me. It's I, I think Man United have to move on from that. It was it, you know it was great having him there at the time, mate. But um, you know I think um, I think well I mean how old is he now? Eighty must be what thirty six I think thirty five thirty six thirty six yeah. And I got Cavani. How old's Cavani? Thirty four. Yeah. Look for me. I you know I'm not sure about that. I'm not sure about that. I don't think it would be the right move for me. No, you know I know there's there's. Fond memories of having Ronaldo there, but that was that was a long time ago. 
things have changed. Pardo Solicitors, the friendly law firm based in the heart of Somerset with offices in Yeovil, Taunton and Bridgewater with a strong ethos of helping those in our community. If in doubt, check it out with Pardo's on a free no-obligation call or subscribe to our free podcast, The Friendly Law Podcast. For more information, call 0800 862 or visit pardos.co.uk. Pardos Solicitors, looking after you, your family and your business. At AJ Wakeley and Sons Family Funeral Directors, we know the importance of compassion and integrity. We also know how unfamiliar decisions can be so difficult at a time of family bereavement. We can provide a steadying influence just when you need it, guiding and helping you make the right decisions to reflect the kind of funeral that your loved one deserves. Visit our website, www.ajwakely.com, for more information or call Clive Wakeley on 01935 479913. When I first started my business, I was hopeless at paperwork. My system involved bunging everything in a shoebox and sorting it out later, much later. Thank goodness for Chalmers Accountants. They soon put me on the right track. They work with businesses of all sizes, and they really know their stuff. Chalmers will provide you with a one-to-one service with your own personal account manager at one of their three local branches. For expert advice on how to make your business more successful, visit chalmersaccountants.co.uk and book your free initial consultation. You support Yeovil Town Football Club? I doing that again. Well, me dad rushed in, and here is Then the you man. must log on to the Green Army Facebook page. He said, Now listen, my boy, it ain't all joy, but remember this all your life. In my heart, I am always Yeovil. I belong to It's the number one YTFC fan site. Find them on Facebook and Twitter. Join up and have your say. I'm green and white. We are Yeovil Town. Oh, are. Well, I grew up. I never... The Green Army Facebook page. Found me a Yeovil gal. Then there came a wedding day. And this is a tale to tell. Now the vicar, he said, be faithful and... Steve, what do you think? Uh, I suppose it depends why they're buying. Like somebody mentioned there, laughingly in the background, shirts. Um, but probably the biggest thing at the moment is like the managerial merry-go-round, isn't it? You can speculate as much as you want, but who, who's going to do anything until managers are in place and people have actually got... Um, I think Allegri, has he just gone back into Juventus? Masili, Masiliano yeah. Allegri, I think, just yeah. gone back yeah. in. But you've got all sorts of stuff, rumours that if this player goes here, then this will happen. But that, you know, Real Madrid haven't got a manager. Bayern Munich are just getting a new manager. And, and it's... I don't know. I, I mean, for me, I wouldn't take him back now. I don't think he'll be able to do what he did before. Um, and, and I think they've probably got more important things to sort out. I think the other thing as well, Eddie, you, you, you've got the Euros this summer as well. So I think players, I don't think there'll be much movement before the Euros anyway. I think players tend to kind of gamble on having a good Euro 
competition and then uh, you know their value increases over that sort of four week period and before you know it you've got all sorts of club looking at you. Mm, mm. But I mean there was some talk of swapping Pogba for him, for example. Um part of the deal, wasn't it? Yeah. But I mean I, I think personally, much as I think he he could still be good, but we've waited so long for Pogba, haven't we? We've waited and waited. The thing, the thing we... with United this summer age is they've got to buy ready made challenging for the title players. You can't afford to have another window where you're buying Assad and you know some some potential players that are going to be good in three years. You've actually got to hit the ground running. So Varan, Sancho and Declan Rice, get those three and away you go. Hmm. Question is, can we afford them though? Depends how you structure the deals again, doesn't it? United hmm. is still the biggest club in this country on a financial level marketing-wise and whatever, not perhaps donation-wise, but it's still a big club. It's still Manchester United. It's still a club to play for. Yeah, absolutely. So, You fancy playing from, Scott? Why, no, they're not big enough for me, mate. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't mean. Player. What was that? I missed that. Scott's a Super League player. He wouldn't bother with the Premier League, would he? <laughs> Talking to that, Scott, what did you think about all that? Did it uh, surprise you or, or did you just think it's typical money-grabbing exercise or what? Oh, it, it certainly surprised me because there there obviously been whispers. You know, you heard heard rumours and whispers about it, you know, in the months leading up to it. And I never really thought, you know, that it would sort of snowball to where it got to. At, at no stage did I ever think that it would go ahead that way. I must admit, I said from day one, I just can't see how I can't see the fans mm. putting up with it. I just, I just couldn't see it. It, 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 it. I don't think the owners really thought it through uh, and and realised just how the fans would react to it. To be honest with you, mm. but I never I never at any stage thought it would go ahead. No, no, but I mean I think the prospect of playing you know, just 12 teams over and over again. I mean, with no relegation. I, I think, to me, the thing that killed it for me was no relegation. I, I just don't well, see that, how... That's you... what people, people sort of overlooked about it. The Americans like their closed shop idea, but the mm. fact is, for a proper sports fan, it's boring. Yeah. Mm. What makes United against Barcelona a big draw is the infrequency of it. If it's happening twice a season every season, it's, it's got no interest. There's no pull on it. So it's never going to work. It's an American model and it doesn't suit European sport. No. Absolutely. I mean, you see the same thing in the A-League in Australia. You know, they're 12 teams. It's, just, it's pretty much the same t- same 12 teams every year. They add one every so often to make the lead a little bit bigger. But but basically, you know, like you said, it, Rick, it's, it's the same teams playing each other time yeah. and time again. And, you know, you only have to look at the excitement that relegation and promotion gives you. It's, it's an incredible moment. You know, the playoffs. Like they that. don't... They don't buy into that, do they? All the no. all the excitement is at the top end of the league. They don't yeah. realise that it's just as much that jeopardy is what makes things makes things exciting. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. absolutely. Yeah, good point, Rick. Good point. Going back to the transfer window, though, what about Manchester City? Then who are they going to buy? Anybody got any ideas on that? Stay away from Grealish. That scares me. Mm. Well, I'd like to buy him myself, but uh, you know. So I don't know. What do you think, Simon? Who do you fancy? Simon, wake up! You're on mute, Simon. Your microphone's off. Oh, yeah, sorry. I was 
one was muted to move around the house. Um, I thought Kane said he was in would be interested in going to Manchester City and he'd like to play with Kevin De Bruyne. So maybe that's where he's going to go. It doesn't. It certainly sounds like Kane's not going to stay at Spurs, doesn't it? Well, it does. The thing is, is Pochettino going to go back to Spurs? I mean, that's a bit of a, a surprise story. I mean, you know, old uh, Daniel Levy trying it on again, isn't he? But, I mean, I don't know. I, would, would he go back, do you think, uh, Scott? Well, I think that the, the thing with... Well, the decision Levy's got to make now, AD, is that, um, you know, at first it was, um, you know, Kane leaving. Now, now you've got to think about bringing the right manager in that could convince Kane to stay. I think that's that's what's going to be key in that in that situation is that, you know, uh, Harry Kane leaving for Man City or Man United, whoever, is one thing. Um, but I think I think it's all about the manager now. I think Levy's got to get the right manager and convince Kane yeah. to stay. Yeah, but do you think Kane, because Kane has come out and said, I, I, I want to, you know, I want to change. Uh, and I mean, is 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 another manager going to turn Spurs into uh, a trophy winning side? That's the point. Preferably the, the the league, I suppose, from his point of view. Well, I can't necessarily see that. Not unless he spent a hell of a lot of money on extra players. Yeah, no, I agree. Agree. I think um, you know they spent a lot of money over the years, haven't they, Tottenham? And uh, I think they've got quite a lot of pretty average players in that squad there. Um, but but maybe a move for Kane would be maybe the right thing for him. I mean, what was he? Twenty nine years old now. Twenty eight, twenty nine years old. Yeah. Um, you know, but you get twenty eight. Yeah, you get to that stage in your career now where you think, well, you know, he's probably got four years left at the top now. A four year contract will take him to thirty two. Um, he hasn't won anything, has he, at Tottenham? So, um, you know, he's. I'm sure when you see. When you see those celebrations, you know Chelsea celebrating that Champions League win. It, you know you can't help but 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 sit there and and just you know think, wow, you know that I could be part of that. I want to be part of that. You know, so I think that'll be playing on his mind as well. Yeah, yeah. Did you see the um Gary? Anyone see the Gary Neville interview with him? Yeah, I and saw he it. He said, said exactly what Scott just said then. You know, and plus he's going to be spending the summer with the England squad that's got trophy winners. All the way through it, so he's going to want a piece of that, isn't he? And it's his, mm. he's got to get it right. This is his opportunity to move to win trophies because Spurs mm. won't. Spurs won't win anything. Mm. Mm. Well, be I don't see why. Sorry, Avi, I don't yeah. see why Pochettino would leave a Champions League club next season for a team with no European action at all. That seems a little bit odd to me. Why would? Steve, you've been a manager. Why you be like leaving Sutton United to go and manage Bath City? Yeah, I mean, there's lots, there's lots of things internally, aren't there? Like now, you hear all sorts of stuff. Like Conte at Milan, he wins the first Scudetto for ten years uh, in Milan. Um, but there's an issue around transfer activity with the board saying we're going to do this. You're going to have this budget. And he realises that won't allow him to be competitive next year. So he decides it's time to move on. So it, it, sometimes it's it's more than just about the here and now. It's about what you can see projected forward over the next couple of seasons. Um, in terms of how he came, I think I'd be quite surprised if he doesn't end up at Manchester City. Um, I think when, you know people talk about Lukaku moving, but I don't think Lukaku's a Manchester City kind of player. I think Kane's much better at coming off, linking up, letting people run behind him into spaces, 
when he's drawn centre-backs into little holes or he gets into the hole and gets free and gets turned and then links the play. And, I, and he scored goals in English football year after year, which obviously people talk about Haaland. You know, he's done it a little bit in the Bundesliga, but he's not been in the Premier League doing it week in, week out, whereas Kane has. And I think for Man City now, I think they need a proven Premier League goal scorer and something they know can score on the international stage as well. So I can I can see Harry Kane going to Manchester City. He may could he goes anywhere else. Yeah, absolutely. So would I. And I don't care if Pochettino goes back to Tottenham. I don't think that's persuading him to stay. Mm-hmm. Well, um, it's, it, I'm going to change the subject slightly. Um, we're getting near to our time limit. But as we all know, the... Uh, European Championship start next week and here at Three Valleys Radio we will be doing uh, what we're going to call Europods uh, so uh, we're going to be quite busy I think because there's uh, three games every day I think after the first day right through to more or less the end of June so we're going to have lots to talk about um, you guys anybody going to tip anybody to win the European Championship have England got a chance? France I think yeah, I think the, the controversial inclusion of Benzema, who had previously been sort of, there's been a lot of problems with the French squad. I think I mentioned it in the Euro show last week, but it's quite significant that he's brought Benzema in, and Benzema has been playing amazingly well for Real Madrid, even though they've not won anything. He's been an amazing player, um, and I. I'm quite pleased that he sort of thought, well, we've sort of sorted our rifts out because there were a few problems to do with videos and things, weren't there? Yeah. In the French squad and other I, things that were going on. I think blackmail is the word um, you're looking for. Yeah, I didn't know whether I was allowed to say that, so I'm sort of skirting around it. <laughs> um, but they're, it, I think they are a solidly strong squad and I'd be very surprised if anyone beats them. Scott, who do you fancy in about a minute? I'm I'm not really a a big predictor, AD. I think uh, think it'll be the same sort of top four, four to six teams. I think England have got a good chance. I think if they, um, if those top players, um, you know, take their form into, into the Euros, I think England have got a good chance, but I don't think you can look further than France, Belgium, Spain, England. You know, I think that they're the team. Who? The Germans will be there or thereabouts. The Germans, of course, yeah, of course. What about the Faroe Isles? The the... Oh, God. <laughs> anyway, look, we're running out of time, boys. Uh, thank you very, very much for joining us tonight, uh, especially you, Scott. Uh, uh, it's good to have somebody of your uh, current premiership ability in, in the squad as we've got here at uh, Three Valleys Radio. So thanks very much for that. Good to talk to you again after Thank all you, these Scott. years, mate. No problem, guys. It's been, it's been great. Lovely to meet you all. Yeah, well... Hopefully we... Take care, guys. Thank you. But, you know, basically, thanks for joining us, everybody. Join us again next week. Uh, no no live commentary this week, obviously, because the football's finished now down here at Yeovil. But we're going to have plenty of European stuff on the show. So... Until then, this has been Football Bloody Hell, and thanks for joining us. The heart is a bloom Shoots up through the stony ground 
You've been listening to... I can't believe it. Football, bloody hell.